Hello, it's time to talk music, audio gear, and anything else that crosses our mind. I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. And welcome to the Hareton Audio Podcast. So to start with, I just want to give us like an give the viewers and listeners um an idea on who we are. Uh where Mark Hareton. I'm Peter Hareton. And we make um refills for reason under the brand Hareton Audio. And yes. then we make music individually and together in a whole host of different genres doing different projects. And this podcast's basically going to be us talking about things we enjoy, mainly music related, but they don't have to be music related. We'll be covering the technical side, the listening side, what we're sort of fans of and what sort of gear we like as well. So we'll see what we do, but it'll be a mixed bag, hopefully. Yeah, so um, there's a song that's grabbed both me and Peter this or the last two weeks or so. And it's by Boys Like Girls. And the song is called Blood and Sugar. And the main reason that it's grabbed us is the production for us. It ticks all the boxes of punchy drums, cool, sort of clean, choppy guitars. The production's amazing. There's so many little like ear candy parts to it. It's just really fun. It's it's just got everything that you want, like the guitars are loud, but they're they're sort of the the full song sort of is overproduced, but not in a way that doesn't suit the song. And it's got like a really good classic rock feel, but it feels very modern as well. It's just sort of doing all these weird stuff. If you go to Boys Like Girls social pages, um they actually break down the different layers that make up the track. And it sort of really spins your head because the track sounds really simple when you're listening to it but when they break down these layers you realize that there's there's tons and tons of things just stacking and building it in a way that you would expect in most tracks but the way that the song comes across when you first listen it's it's almost like pour some sugar me or, or something like that where it's sort of a single guitar stab and then open space but it's got tons and tons of like DXC style keyboard layers and and clean guitars with loads of delay on and stuff in the background doing like a rhythmic pulse and it sort of drives the track without you really even thinking that it's there. Yeah, and when they do the breakdown on their on their there's I think there's an Instagram reel of it. It's like things like the bass. You imagine the bass is just like one note going, one note going boom, but then it's like this distorted bass lick that's really full sounding. And you go, it's in the mix, but you almost don't even perceive it sometimes. But when you when you hear it like isolated, you listen back, and you go, oh, it is in there, yeah. but it's like it's going like right up the strings and stuff, and going quite high in places too. And it's it's just a fascinating arrangement. Like it it subverts your expectations because when you listen to it you think this is like clean cut pop rock and the more you listen to it the more little bits jump out and there's tons of vocal effects and vocal layers that that are uh, just really creative and unusual and it sort of pulls you out of any particular genre yeah. it's hard to pinpoint exactly what it is you listen to like your brain wants to say it's just pop but it's, it's not it's like pulling out all of these different influences and sort of mixing them together. And the other thing is when they break it down into like vocoders and the keys and the, the little um electro like poppy click snare. Yes. That's yeah, yeah. all key match. It just, it, it's like 
because we listened to the night game. We was big fans of the night game before Boys Like Which Girls. is the singers, the singers same project is, is, oh sorry, his, his side project is the night game, which is very different to what Boys Like Girls used to sound like. Cause we wasn't as big on them initially, but the night game was like this amazing eighties pastiche project, but it, it also uses a lot of modern techniques, but it still doesn't, it doesn't feel like a super, super modern project. It still feels like it's rooted in like this eighties, early nineties sort of pop rock studio cutter sound, but there's all these different elements. Like I'm sure there's 808s in, in them yeah, yeah, and yeah. there's like 808 like tuned bass. Lots of random drum production that you don't really think about if you're not production minded. You're just hearing these clangs and like barrels yeah. being hit. But all of that production from the night game has been infused into Boys Like Girls' new stuff, both language and blood and sugar. And it's very interesting because it's it wants to be pop rock. You think it's pop rock, but when you listen, there's so much more. There's happening. so much more happening, and the delivery on it is really interesting. Immaculate is the word that we've used when thinking about the song often. Yeah, it's just and it and it's just an earworm that you want to just listen to over and over again. Yeah, we I could think we put it on on shuffle because I said, oh, they've got a new song out, and I, I kept forgetting to listen to it. And when it came on on shuffle, I think we actually. Yeah, I think we listened to that one before we listened to Language because we was a bit late getting to it. And it sort of stopped me in my tracks. I was like, this is like amazing. This is like exactly what I want from a song. And, and also just delivered it. Went with the production being like it is and the genre like it is, it's very hard when you're looking for music to find to like find a, a sort of word to encapsulate what this type of rock slash pop is. That it doesn't really have, I mean, there's lots of words I'm sure it can be categorized in because there's, there's like dark pop and alt pop and, you know, alt pop rock and, and they've, you know, shoegaze, they've got all these genres, but none of them really go this in depth in this particular thing because it's so specifically produced. It's got very rough around the edges rock. But the guitars are like the, right up in your face in the mix like yeah, yeah, they're not yeah. hiding like in a lot of these sort of songs the guitars are often pushed backwards and they're trying to let everything else sort of hit you first so it can fool you but the guitars are just like that first chord on the guitar and the bass retrospectively it punches you in yeah, the face yeah, it punches you in the face is what i was going to say yeah it's it's just it it ticks all the boxes from like a, somebody who likes modern rock but you don't really know what it is anymore because I feel like rock has been marketed as this like, you know, underproduced, angsty. angsty. It doesn't have to be too cleanly produced. Just like, you know, just like more like garage rock. Yeah, rock, it wants to be authentic in all the ways where sometimes it isn't because it's easy to just mash the strings and, and sort of bring more of a punk vibe in because that's a simpler thing and more experienced players can just dial that in because it's so simple but to actually play and to write like the arrangement yeah, on the this arrangement. song blood and sugar is crazy because it's so it's diff it's like unbelievably simple on the first glance and the more you sort of listen the more complex it gets and i feel like there's almost like polyrhythmic stuff happening yeah, in yeah. the background yeah and like i said the song's arranged like it almost feels like it wants to be a 12 bar but it subverts it's your expectations you know like towards the end as well because they keep flipping the arrangement round and surprising you with what's coming up which is really interesting too 
So hopefully the entire album, because language is, language is already out as well. And yeah. that's very good. Different. Sounds a bit more like the police and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Still has the same, the same thing, the quality that we're talking about, which is it's produced very modern. It's really slick sounding, but it has that classic rock or that old school sort of mentality and approach to songwriting that really, really ticks the boxes if you like 80s classic rock or 90s rock or even 70s stuff. It, it just is like that old school approach to songwriting, but it's done with this modern finesse that really just, it creates something that is more than the sum of its parts, I feel like. Yeah, because it's almost like that uncanny valley, like when you hear a modern cover of a classic rock song, but it's got the modern production. A bit like, sounds, say, Fallout Boys, yeah, we yeah. didn't start the fire. Yeah, it sort of gives the full song a different feel because, you know, like modern production is a lot, it's a lot harsher. It hits harder. It hits harder. It's a lot more full on. A lot of the old tracks, they, they just sort of start and the drums are a lot lighter. It's a lot more fluffy sounding almost. There's, there's not a lot of impacts yeah. and stuff. Whereas now it's like everything's like a punch in the face impact on drums. That's just the way drums are mixed now. And everything's hyper overemphasized. Yeah. It's like white noise swells and things like, it's sort of like sucks and then pushes out yeah, again yeah. a lot of the yeah. arrangements. Yeah, the, the rises, impacts, even if you don't think they're there, when you listen to a lot of tracks now, you'll hear like trap hats in the background or you'll hear like, an explosion, an impact, you know, like a, a helicopter doing some kind of riser. Yeah. Even if you're not really paying attention to it, it's all there. And that adds to like the aggressiveness. The, the excitement. The excitement. Sort. Whereas when you listen to the 80s, like an 80s arrangement, yeah. it's just sort of moving and you can imagine sort of a band playing it, but there's no cinematic effects on a lot of these songs. I mean, the, some some of the 80s where they get samplers and stuff, it, it starts to creep in, but it's nowhere near as polished and as sort of defined because they sort of use, they overused that trick. And I think when EDM sort of became popular, people went, well, they're doing all these things to make it sound exciting. Why don't we just do that in pop music? And that's why I think EDM raised the bar for all genres because people went, well, they're pushing it so much further. We can push it further and still not be EDM. We can just incorporate these white noise hits and these swells and rises. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it sort of gives, a song like like I say if you was to say do a modern version of any classic rock song say like Since You've Been Gone by Rainbow th the way that a modern production team would handle it it would just be choppy it would it hit harder everything would be more precise and just thought through whereas a lot of classic rock songs it's like the band was like this is a great song let's just play it and yeah. now it's and like, let, let's dissect it and let's make every single bar a hook and every moment has to stand out and pop through the speakers. And that's a real difference. And that's what songs like Blood and Sugar have over songs that even came out 10 years ago. It's just that, that level of attention, you know, it constantly commands your attention at every part of the song. It's saying, I'm here, you know, listen to this thing that you've not heard throughout the song yet, you know, because it, it's all about grabbing the listener. Yeah, and it's about filling filling the space and, as you said, subverting expectations, which can, when done incorrectly, can sort of pull you out of the song. But when it's sort of layered in the background and when you've got people who are very experienced at doing it, you sort of don't even realise it's happening. Like, so you, you, you listen to a song and you think, oh, this is just a band playing. But 
it's not. There's all these layers. I mean, I think Muse come to mind when you yeah. think on the surface, a lot of Muse's tracks, particularly the newer ones, you can just hear the band playing the songs with their, you know, gnarly setups because they all have like crazy tones in Muse. But when you really like dig down, songs like Won't Stand Down, there's a lot of stuff in the background swells and lots of layering as well that and lots of like just changing the entire rig out for one phrase on like like on will of the people it just cuts just to the bass and the bass sounds crazy it doesn't even sound like a bass yeah and they they sort of switch the effects out don't they to to keep it interesting even though the notes aren't changing which is again if you just play in a song on an instrument without effects you're thinking well this isn't this isn't that exciting, but that that's the thing. It's the way that it's mixed and the way that the effects are chosen make these ideas exciting. Speaking of mixing and effects, we also want to talk about why we love collecting and just looking at and learning about old gear and what and when how that's different to new gear because a lot of new gear is readily available. You can just buy it on Amazon. And a lot of it as well as is software. Like the vast majority of, of new gear really, when yeah. you're speaking of, of what people are using, the VSTs, you know, people go on plugin boutique and stuff. You can just you can really get anything you want. And you can get recreations of these old gear of of say like Rockman boxes like the IK Multimedia one, you can get a VST Space Echo, but does it sound the same as like the real deal or even say like the new boss Space Echoes that you can get? Yeah, it's there's another part of that, like because you can have a Neve 1176, you can have the plug in version of the 1176, you can have the warm audio or any other brand recreation in hardware. I believe you, you're talking about the Uriel. The Uriel, Uriel, sorry. <laughs> I always confuse the Neve and the Uriels. Um, but yeah, like a hardware, a classic hardware box, there can be so many versions of it to buy. But yet, why would you get a hardware one over a software and one? If, if you're not buying the Neve branded one, why would you choose something like a Golden Age or a Warm Audio one yeah. over just using, say, like a Waves plugin? And then it brings in the question, well, SSL have come out with all these brand new plugins. Why would you buy a Waves SSL licensed plugin when you can just go buy an SSL plugin? Yeah, and it all goes into what, makes gear fun to buy like when you buy say we've we've just got some new boss pedals we've got the heavy metal was a craft we've got the dimension c was a craft and we've got the 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 brand new uh roland re202 yeah the boss it's the roland space echo but the new version which is the boss re202 um and they're very fun and very new pieces of kit but what drives you to get a dimension C over just using a dimension C, like a stock dimension C in any multi effects. Or even just a chorus, because at the end of the day, like it's just a chorus. To to bring it down to basics, a dimension C is is a chorus sound. But why go for a sort of brand new recreation of that sound? Well, I think to answer the question, it's one of those things where the, the, the Dimension C is used on so many classic records from Stevie Ray Vaughan to, um, I mean, basically just like every, like most popular music. Yeah, because it's if sort you're, of in the mix on everything. If you're including the other mode, which is the rack mount mode, 
that was just used on studio sessions all of the time. And those engineers probably didn't even mention it a lot of the time. They were yeah. just being like, right, we'll, we'll turn that on. But it's like when you turn that pedal on and you put it on the end, particularly if you're playing like hair metal and stuff, that where they started to use a lot more outboard and it wasn't just relying on the amps. As soon as you turn it on, you get like that, that vibe in the room, that, that feeling that, oh, this is what, this is the same sort of sound or the same sound just recreated in a new box that all of my heroes played with. And you sort of, you, you feel that. And I think when you're, if you're making music with say instruments or you've got like, you're playing it outside the box, it sort of gives you that creativity and it inspires you to And also to that confidence better. to be like, this is what they're used. Yeah. I'm using what they're using. I suppose that that's the other part of this. Like, it's it's the full package of it's the same form factor, it's the same brand. It may be a new one, but they've told us it's the same as the old ones. And you that's that's also like it feeds into it like you want to have the board that looks like the board that you see on, say, like Prince's six stomp. It's, it's all of his boss pedals. Yeah, all yeah. of his boss pedals. You think if it was good enough for him and it yeah. could get him where he needed to be on albums like Purple Rain, yeah. why would it not be good enough and, for, and for you? I think it feeds into that nostalgia factor because you could have all the same circuits and different shaped pedals, but when you look at it, it you feel like it's something you else. You feel like it's something else. And they do a lot of like like the JHS show do like blind tests. Can yeah. you tell the difference between the real thing or recreation? A lot of the time it's so subtle that your brain wouldn't know, but when you're purchasing something or looking at something to purchase, you're always drawn to the thing that you have, like you even know the story of, or you have some kind of like mental attachment to that piece of gear. It's linked to an artist like yeah. you love. Like a lot of people think about um, Kurt Cobain, yeah, and his pedals. Whether it is a grunge, yeah, or, or was it a DS one? There's yeah. like a debate of if it is a grunge or a DS one because people aren't sure if the grunge was a joke or if it was swapped out at some point. Uh, obviously, you can look into that story more if you want clarification. But it's like people idolize these pedals, and sometimes you don't even know if the artist you're idolizing them for are using them. Like a lot of artists will tour with a different rig to what they used in the studio and different yeah. amps. And you're thinking, well, I need this because that's what he used to record this album. And you think, well, you don't really know that. Yeah, you've no way of knowing unless they There's do like... documentation. I mean, now, like with, with modern bands, you can see the studio pictures or see them on, on, on a reel of the setup and you go, all right, that's what they're using. But obviously in, in the like the 70s and 80s, you had to go off actual photos or an interview or any kind of information. Or, or say like a magazine a trying magazine, to interpret yeah. it to sell you similar products that may not be the products that they used, but you yeah, can yeah. get the same sound. Yeah. We recently got in this exact vein, we're trying to make like a classic rock album. And so we've always been massive fans of Boston. Yeah. So we actually got a real authentic Rockman distortion generator. And it's sort of mind-blowing because Boston has a very, very particular guitar sound. Tom Schultz's guitar sound is very unique. Yeah. At least at the time when, when it came out. And this distortion generator, even though we haven't got like the exact headphone amp that they use, um, it does the sort of exact same drive. And, and when you play through it, it really, really does evoke the sound of Boston. Like because of the way 
it does an amp sim that's built in with a series of filters in in the circuit and because of the eq section and everything it's a very it's a like an all-in-one sort of the first amp sim it's it really really does come through when you play on it you almost want to just play songs like mall in the feeling and play the boston songs because it's it's like an exact emulation almost like the tone prints are like for modern people, but because this is such a, you know, like it's seventies equipment, essentially, it just blows your mind. Cause you're playing on it. Like this is the exact sort of and tone. Also like with the distortion generator it is an original one that was made. I think that when I looked online, there was 13,000 of a lot of the units, whether that includes the distortion generator or not, but a lot of these like half rack series, they only made like 11 to 15,000 of them. And there was designed directly by Tom Schultz. He didn't make every one, but he designed them. He designed the circuit. He designed the circuit. And that that also puts you one step closer to that Boston sound because there's one thing, him using it, but there's another thing that it's literally what he wanted in a distortion, like in a box. And then it spills out because that that box was a massive success for him as because as, it was his company. Um, I believe it's... Schultz research and design or and des- and development, development maybe yeah it might be design <laughs> and so obviously a lot of other famous artists use that notably Def Leppard use a lot of yeah, rock yeah, and equipment yeah. all on hysteria and a lot of artists of that time like that was one of the sort of staple things for studios because that was it was an easy sound because back in the day you know they didn't have software and amp sims and sort of doing things without mics and loaded up marsh lamps and stuff was very different and challenging. You know, you couldn't just record into a regular box. So this was like an alternative, but it was also like... Portable a, as well. That's what a lot of them went for it because it was an easy portable thing, particularly with the headphone amps. You could just practice and record onto a cassette player. And also like there's not a lot of options. It was, it's sort of like a set it and forget it style thing. So that sound, it's not like say a lot of modern synths or say modular synths where you can have everything but you may never get to the exact sound because there's so many variables these are sort of circuits where it's like well you sort of turn it on and it's either clean or distorted and there's not really a lot else going on on the box so you can change the the level of distortion but it doesn't really change the sound it just gives you slightly more distortion So it sort of feels like instant because you can't really get away from this signature sound that you've heard on so many records and so when you play through it you're like it just it really that is it yeah you don't have to try to figure out the eq or try and do anything like if you had say guitar rig you'd be sat there trying to figure out even if you got like one of the boston e patches you'd be sat trying to figure out well what is the eq doing how much compression is it when you've got the box it's just like right i'll plug it in and that's it you've you've got it it already it just does it automatically yeah recently you've been buying a lot of uh, romplers and rack synthesizers which i i feel like the 19 inch rack format especially for synthesizers is very not trendy these days it's sort of died with plugins i think um plugins and desktop units because desktop units are all the rage for synth- they're very like the boutique yeah, models yeah. and and like there's some new uh like the udo super six there's a new desktop version of that these are really powerful units and also the you can run sort of external midi out and just sort of play the instrument you can play all the parameters because it's on your desktop right in front of you you don't have to walk over to anything meanwhile we've been collecting like very very i mean you would say they're not vintage they're more retro but they're more like uh 
almost in that perfect period of uncool at this present moment. Where they're cheap. <laughs> they're cheap. They're just new enough that people don't want them, but they're too old. Yeah, you know, they're not old enough that they're cool again. So it's like yeah. it's like that that reverse Goldilocks zone. Of, like when everybody was just throwing their moogs in the bin, yeah, yeah, because yeah. the digital technology was so good, and people went, "Well, yeah. nobody's ever going to want this yeah. analog technology." Well, it's the opposite thing now. You think, "Well, why would you ever use this digital technology? The virtual technology is great, and the analog technology is great for people now, but nobody seems to want a digital hardware unit." Because this is primitive digital like we're talking like pcm two, two yeah two mb on a memory card a full memory card that only has two mb and 15 sounds on which is crazy like that's for the roland u110 um all of the cards the 15 cards you can get they're so small for data and, and the sample rates and bit depths yeah. are very primitive they're not even cd quality yeah and they don't have a lot of flexibility they're just a audio waveform so rompler's just it's it's a synth except instead of having a analog oscillator it just has a digital waveform basically that that's it in a nutshell that's called pcm pcm yeah a pulse code modulation waveform or wave table yeah and it just plays that cycles and loops it and it pitches it up the keyboard and back down again so on a lot of these patches like say when they're sampled instruments, it will get like have the chipmunk effect going up and the slow down effect going going down. So they're very they're, they're full of aliasing and full of character, which is why I think the sounds sort of are quite inspiring. But they're also very unusual. Like the, a lot of plugins, like you can you can mimic this in samplers by just dropping any wav you have on the middle C key and letting it pitch up as it pitches up pitch it's sort of like slow down as it goes down but then you would have to start putting bit crushes on and, and start reducing the fidelity so this is not something you cannot do in in like modern production but it's sort of a why would you and a lot of the units are very much of the year they came out like the people who designed the the sound banks and the drums and everything it's very like hip and trendy of that year and what's curious with some of the units is what they felt like was the sound of that year that everybody wanted. And sometimes you listen to it and you go, what, what is this drum kit meant to be? Like, what is the genre it's going for? But that's because they've all got a lot of personality because in each different year throughout like the eighties, there was a different tom sound, a different drum sound that they was trying to replicate. Something that was hyped up, some a sound that everybody wanted, that, but that nobody had A yet. sound that sounded modern to people of that time, and they could say, well, check this kit out, and you go, wow, that sounds like the records I hear on the radio. And some of these records probably haven't aged very well, and others have aged really fantastically. So there'll be some patches where you listen and go, I really don't know who this is for, and then another patch where you're just like, oh my God, this is this song. Like, that, this is what they're trying to make. This is that sound that there is no alternative for. Like well. the Lately Bass. Yeah, the Lately on, Bass. On the Yamaha units, the TX81Z. Yeah. That sound, you you play it and you instantly hear all these classic songs sort of come to mind. You can just play it exactly. And it, it will just sound like Wigfield, Saturday Night, or any of these songs, like Rhythm is a Dancer and stuff. Yeah, and uh, some of the like more pop rock side of the units, they just have those, you know, rip-off Oberheim polys. They have 
the the sort of cheap Fender Rhodes or you know, like the really thin E pianos that everybody in the eighties used for the be, power ballads. For the power ballads, it just has all like any eighties power ballad at all the sounds on those sort of romplers because that is the technology of the time and sampled brass which obviously at the time there was like oh my god we don't need brass bands we can use a new synthesizer like, like a jupiter or something as a replacement and then when these romplers came out people were like well we can just sample the brass stab we want and we don't need to hire session musicians and this obviously this is what has led us to where we are now where people go well why would i get somebody to play the drums when i can just use easy drummer or something but again it has a sound all of its own because people look to recreate this sort of pseudo sampled 80s orchestration that you hear where yeah, yeah. It, at the time there was like, this is a, this sounds like an orchestra, but you listen now you go, no, this sounds like jank 80s brass. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like immediately time capsules you to a particular moment in the 80s, like say The Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News. Or owner of a lonely hat. Oh uh, yes, yeah, with the really weird orchestral stabs that they don't sound like an orchestra, but yeah, they don't sound like anything else. They're sort of it, it's very of the time and a bit like how I feel like a lot of music that's being created now will age. It's like you, you're like, wow, well, this just sounds like a drum kit, and you go, well, it doesn't. It sounds like somebody programming a sample drum kit, and people may not hear that today. But in the future, when the technology slightly changes, people will listen and go, oh, well, yeah, these, these songs are all made on Ableton or whatever it is. It's like the sort of bubble of all the EDM tracks that are made with just like native instruments, massive, massive going, whoop, 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 whoop. that's how <laughs> all the songs sound. And you don't think about it when you're hearing them at the time. But then when you go back after five years, you go, these songs all have the same thing. They in. all sound the same. They all do the same thing. And there's this, this like pivotal moment where that was the thing that was cool and when you you don't really feel like you hear it at the time like you just go oh yeah these songs are doing this thing but you don't piece together how how like unison that is across an entire like say like half decade or something where all these songs are doing the same thing and you sort of just don't you don't really get it till you look back because at the time it sounds modern and you're like yeah this is just what music sounds like and when you look back you think God, yeah, music doesn't sound like that anymore. Yeah, yeah, and it subtly changes year after year, always slowly evolving, but then there'll be like a, a sort of like steady halt and like a complete change around of what is cool. And Say then, like The weekends, Blinding Lights, yeah, I feel like... Everybody's doing that. The, the tempo of that song, you don't really think much of it, but I feel like house music, dance music tempo was the most popular thing. Like, And most pop songs were going at that mid-high tempo thing, but Blinding Lights is like fast on the drums. Like it can be played, you can view it as half time or double time or whatever, but at the end of the day, it's a completely different tempo. It's like a fast driving beat, like a Hall & Oates or yeah, like an Hall 80s Earth, yeah. beat that's, that's, that moves and has your attention. And I feel like that when you listen to songs now, most the songs, most the big pop songs and the first singles are that speed. 80s infused, bit of Holland Earth's type sort of rhythm. And analog synth, Analog synths, Junos and all that. But yeah, speaking of synths, we'll get round to the point of the other reason with the rack synths that's so interesting is that some of the companies obviously haven't lasted. 
So like yes. Emu and Insonic and and Insonic ended up being bought by Emu and that that just complicates Emu and Insonic further. They both went bankrupt both, together. Yeah, both went bankrupt. So obviously, when you're buying some of these old units, it's almost like a piece of history. But also, there is no modern equivalent. And you can buy sample packs and sound libraries, and sound con- libraries. contact libraries, but the actual instruments and every sort of way you can edit the sounds via the hardware. They are sort of like a time capsule. Like there's no Korg or Roland Cloud equivalent. There's the, the manufacturer is not there trying to give you a, they built it, they can recreate it better than anyone style thing, like the, like them other brands. These brands are sort of like, well, crap, we, we didn't build this. We can, even if you might have the license for it, you didn't build and program these synths. You're like, well, I think this is how it all works. And the other thing is they're not desirable enough to be cloned by brands like Behringer and yes. other brands. That, you know, they, they're just... They're, well, why would you clone a PCM well, card? I mean, it's... It's a sound library, like you say, in yeah. a box. And that, that's all it is, a sound library and some filters and effects. That, that's, that is the essence of these units. But what makes them very interesting from a time capsule standpoint is that, you know... Th- they're all very unique, and a lot of the emu ones they try to do a different genre, like the carnival, the planet fat, and the orbit. Each one's a different genre or a different sound bank. Like we've got classic keys, which is just a load of like rock keyboards, organs, e pianos, anything with a key a key bed essentially, um, and they're just very fascinating units that you don't really get the sounds of. And when you go through the libraries, you're just hearing all these different sort of like songs of the time whether they've emulated a song for the patch or whether people have used them in their songs they just theoretically these units were used in songs that are hits yes they will they, they almost certainly will be um but obviously they've not got like the necessarily the same bragging rights if you interview somebody they'll go oh, we had the Juno, but they're maybe not going to mention some of these units that were knocking about in the studios of the time or they'll be used like from up-and-coming bands who can't afford the synths of the dreams. And as soon as they get the synth that they actually wanted, these are just going in the trash. And that's the other thing, is a lot of these synths are labelled as junk on eBay. Nobody wants them. Or, you know, even if people want them, they're not desirable enough. They don't know what to do. They're like, why why would you, when you have, like, say, sound libraries like Contact, where you can get anything. I mean, the the third-party expansions even say, like, Reason, what we're doing with Reason. Yeah. When you look at what you can get from third-party and first-party software developers, you think, well, why would I ever need to buy a Roland U110? Why would you need it? Yeah, you just go on Roland Cloud and use the Roland Cloud because that's a better library, in theory. But, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. And... The reason we've been collecting some of these things is because we've been sampling some of them for our reveals that we're making too. Um, and that- we have like a curiosity about why, like why would you want to use these? I mean, a lot of people seem to have an interest in these, but nobody talks about romplers. Nobody talks about some of this equipment that is maybe a lot less trendy. I mean, there is some fantastic YouTube channels say like Audio Pills Bad Gear yeah. that really does a deep dive into them. But like... Do people actually want to use these for music making or would you rather just have the sounds and then you can go in whatever door it is and say, well, you know, I don't need to mess about with the interface, but I do like how that kick sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So that's some of the stuff that we wanted to talk about for our first episode of the Hair and Audio podcast. Please let us know what you think and we will sort of figure out how we're going to make this and what we're going to do. But I think it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll obviously just see as we do these first few episodes, the sort of direction it takes and whether we want to include more scripted segments and sort of games or whether we'll just um, have a chat about stuff. Right, and I've been Peter. I've been Mark. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the first ever Hair and Audio podcast. Yeah.